0: It's true. King Jesus, we lift our eyes to You at this moment. We um, turn our hearts towards You. You are the One who is who we call Creator. You are the One who holds all things in Your hands. You are set above all worldly circumstances. You are set above all things. You are the Name above all names and we come to give you worship, we come to receive from you nothing of ourselves, less of us, more of you. And so come now, reveal yourself to us continually as we come to you, speak to us in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Feel free to grab a seat there. Incredible actually, the the testimony of a life lived following Jesus, Uh, Paul and Ali and the Hodges family there, um, thank you actually for the example that you have given to us of obediently uh, following your heavenly Father. Uh, There is struggle in that, there is hardship in that Um, and you've counted the cost as you you said this morning uh, and following him uh, is everything to you, so thank you. Uh, for that example, tonight we're actually going to be looking um, at something very similar. Uh, uh, Paul, in fact, is nearing the end of his life. And we're going to have a look at uh, 2 Timothy, which is the last uh, letter that we have of Paul's. And he's writing a letter uh, to, you guessed it, Timothy. And, and so he's coming near to the end of, the, of his life. And it almost certainly looks like um, he's going to be executed uh, he's in a Roman prison, uh, imprisoned for his faith, for proclaiming the good news uh, that he has found that has transformed his life. And he's a Roman citizen. So uh, most likely that'll mean he won't be crucified, uh, but but he's probably gonna be more likely uh, beheaded. Uh, the Romans weren't barbarians after all. Um, so... Here we go. So what we're going to have a look at is we're going to start off in 2 Timothy 4, 6 to 8, but we're going to be moving around a bit here. Um, so that's where we're going to start off. This is Paul speaking, and this is what he says. As for me, I am already being poured out as a libation, a blood offering, which, which they would have poured over the, the altar, um, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. From now on, there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only to me, but to all who have longed for his appearing. And further down in verse 18, he says, The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and save me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. We see here for Paul that uh, winter is coming. Uh, Literally, he actually says to to Timothy further down to do his best to come to Paul, to to meet with him uh, before the end uh, and and before winter comes, uh, to bring his overcoat that he left in a city called Troas. Uh, But winter is also coming figuratively. Uh, The end of his earthly life is drawing near. He is chained up in a prison. He's about to die. Uh, The people around him have all but abandoned him. In fact, many have abandoned him. I don't think I'm skilled enough at all to to talk about or to try and picture the gravity or the the hardness of the situation or how bad things look for Paul, humanly speaking. And yet, Paul says this, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. From now on, there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness. I'm gonna be honest, when Paul says these things, if we're actually to consider the position he's in, he, it seems like he's living in an alternate dimension. Uh, somehow he, he seems to have tapped into some multiverse singularity where he can see what everyone else sees as complete humiliation and torment. But he sees it as something of utmost importance, something that he needs to live according to. People are ashamed of identifying him at this point, of identifying with him at this point in his life. Uh, because of his chains, because he's been condemned as a criminal, because the the final effect of execution uh, is near. Their thoughts are probably that God can't be on his side given his predicament. But Paul's understanding clearly is different. He sees this situation as the very proof that God is on his side. He sees reality as it truly is. Jesus is his lens for everything and it's becoming clearer and clearer exactly what life is as he gets closer to the end. I want to be really clear here, right from the outset, is that th- this is not something Paul's life as he sees it is not something that he thinks is just um, his own unique calling that has landed him here. Uh, he, he's not doing his own thing so that we can look on and go, Wow, Paul, incredible job. You do you, man. Keep going. He, he actually doesn't give us that luxury, because what he's doing here in this letter to Timothy is writing to him saying, look at me, look at my example, look at my suffering, look at my chains, and do not be ashamed. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so we see his actual words, 2 Timothy 1, 8 to 14, this is what he says. Do not be ashamed then of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the, for the gospel, relying on the power of God who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the ages began But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Saviour, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the Gospel. For this Gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher, and for this reason, I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know the one in whom I have put my trust, and I am sure that he is able... To guard until that day what I have entrusted to him. Hold to the standard of sound teaching that you have heard from me in, in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Guard the good treasure entrusted to you with the help of the Holy Spirit living in us. He actually says to Timothy, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you. Through the laying on of my hands, rekindle the gift of God. What is this gift of God that Paul is talking about? What is the lens that is helping him reframe all of reality? Who is Jesus? The Jesus that Paul is seeing and has his eyes fixed on. Paul Paul is writing to Timothy to snap him back to reality to recall the same good news that has transformed Paul. What is this dimension shifting good news? The gospel according to Paul. We don't have to actually figure out for ourselves. He states it uh, explicitly in 2 Timothy 2, 8 to 9, where he says this, "'Remember, Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, "'a descendant of David,' That is my gospel, for which I suffer hardship even to the point of being chained like a criminal, but the word of God is not chained. Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, a descendant of David, that is my gospel. I don't know about you, if you've ever thought, okay, what's the easiest and and shortest and most concise way, the most comprehensive way that I can explain the gospel to someone else? Um, And if you've ever gone out and said that, hey, this is, this is my gospel, this is my good news. Uh, Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descendant of David, bam. What, is, what does that even mean? What is, what is Paul saying here? How, how has he condensed the fullness of the gospel into that one line? It, what, it's, it's 11 words, I think, in English. What, what does he actually mean here? In fact, I had to, I called Matt this afternoon because I was like, Matt, uh, w- what's going on here? Like, you know, w- what does Paul actually mean when he's just saying, this is my gospel? And he pointed me uh, to Romans 1 3 to 4, where Paul actually uses very similar language, but he expands it a bit. You see, Paul has rehearsed the gospel. He knows it back to front. He knows what's right at its core. And so when he says this, this, this quick one liner, it's packed with the very essence of who Jesus is. And this is what it says, Romans 1, three to four. The gospel concerning God's son, who was descended from David, and here's the extra bit, according to the flesh, which means that he's human, right? It means he's a son of man and was declared to be son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So, here what he says in 2 Timothy, what does he say? Uh, Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead, which means it, the, the resurrection of the dead is a declaration that Jesus is the Son of God. And when he says, descendant of David, what he's saying is it's according to the flesh, he is a son of man. So perhaps paraphrasing it, this is Paul, this is my gospel, Jesus Christ, son of God, son of man. Does it make it any clearer? It's still packed with something. So who is Jesus to Paul? What is this good news, the core, the thing that is reframing all of reality? the thing that he is dying for. Jesus is the eternal son of God. Paul knows this, but it's the eternal son of God who became a son of man. He's a son of man because he's descendant. He's descended from David. He's proved to be more than that, however, in his resurrection from the dead. He is the son of God. This is who Jesus is. So in becoming a son of man, Jesus fused or, 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 or married actually the two different types of sons together. He, he, he made a way for someone who is a son of a human to be the son of God. He did that in himself. Only in Jesus, only in Jesus are the terms son of man and son of God synonymous. They become the same thing. But but what do these two terms mean? What What does it mean to be a son of God? And what it is for Jesus to be the eternal son of God, to be a son of God, the son of God, means perfect unity with God, complete oneness. The eternal Son of God is the exact likeness of his Father. He is like his Father in every regard. Anything his Father does, he does perfectly. He does nothing outside of who his Father is. But Son of Man... That's a tainted word. Son of God is perfection, is unity with God. Son of man, ever since Adam sinned, means something completely different to us. Son of man, a, a human. It hasn't meant perfection. It hasn't meant unity with God. For us, the very idea of being human means we, we, we have a bit of leeway, a, a bit of wiggle room. It, it means that we're, you know, we're bound to fall short. That's expected. Uh, we, we have a natural deficit when we're not perfect. You know, so and so lied about where he was the other day. And, uh, well, you know, well, that's, that's, you know, what do you expect? He, he's human. He's only human. To err is human. Nobody's perfect. That's the sort of language around what what we would consider to be a son of man, to be a human, but that won't do for Jesus who is the son of God. He takes up our very same flesh, our, our body, our desires, our feelings, our weaknesses, and he makes sure that in every single act, he is obedient to his father, obedient to God. In his life, his death, his resurrection, he perfects what we defined as imperfection. He transforms the son of man into a son of God through his obedience, through his uncompromising oneness with his father's will. To be the son of God means perfect submission to the father, perfect unity with him. And so Jesus does that in human flesh. He brings humanity into divine sonship. By being created into a human, the eternal son of God makes a way for a son of man to be redefined, to be adopted into the son of God. This This is a completely new reality that's happened here. This is a singular event in human history that Jesus has brought about in all of history, in the history of the universe. If if it's a bit hard to wrap our heads around, it's because this is, there's no way to describe exactly what happens here. Jesus, in who he is, in his very being, in his life, his death, his resurrection, he transforms humanity. He redefines a son of man in the image of God into a son of God. Two things are brought together here that were never together. Paul knows this, but he knows more. He knows the reason why Jesus has done this. It wasn't some weird flex that Jesus was thinking, wow, I'm going to bring all glory to myself. I want people to, to look on me, the superhuman, and give me honour and praise because I am better. No, that's, that's not the reason. He did it for all of humanity. He did it for us. Because God loved the world, he sent his son. The heart of of the good news for Paul is that the son of God became a human, a son of man, so that humans, sons of men, could become sons of God through him, through his new humanity. What is this new humanity? What what does it look like? Jesus, Jesus walks and lives and makes decisions Things change. It means something for for his life. We can look on it. We have the accounts of his life. Jesus reveals a new way of being human, a perfect way, a way that doesn't fail, a way that follows the will of God in unadulterated goodness and love, a way that is one with the Father. And what does it end up looking like? This is key for Paul. It ends up looking like suffering and ultimately death, death on a cross. But for this new type of human, death is not an ultimate reality. This is a son of God. A son of God has as its possession eternal love, the spirit of God. It cannot really die except to be reborn as something imperishable. Paul says it elsewhere, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it cannot be made into this life that he sees in Jesus, this new human, a son of God. And this is, in fact, what Jesus does do in his resurrection. And Paul knows very clearly what it means for humanity. It is an open invitation. It was done for us. This is Paul's language. If we live according to Christ in his death, if we have died with him, then we will be raised with him. Everyone who is led by the Spirit of God, as Jesus was, is a child of God. This is the very Spirit that Jesus has sent to all who will receive him. And the Spirit is sent to live a life that rejects the old definition of being human and sets its whole being on Christ. Paul says in Romans 12, one to two, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may be able to discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is a humanity that is defined by death to the old definition of being human, and it lives only to the new way in Jesus. There is reconciliation there is forgiveness. There is a new way. Cast off the old move in the way that even though it may look like suffering and death to the world, is actually eternal life in Jesus. It is to be a child of God. Every single day actually of Jesus' life on this earth was a rejection, a death to our world's understanding of what being human is. Every day, trust in God was chosen over fear and anxiety, over anger and hatred, bitterness and unforgiveness, lust, pride, power, self-assertion. Every day, he completely denied our definition of being human and he replaced it with obedience to the will of his father. He conformed his very human flesh to divine sonship. To his human flesh, it did mean suffering. But as a son, it was his joy and delight to please his father to conform, to adopt humanity into that same sonship. This is Paul's Jesus. This is the good news, the gospel according to Paul that the son of God became a son of man so that the many children of men may become eternal children of God in him. Paul Has been impacted by this. Paul has been completely transformed by this. He has a new Lord, a new King who governs his life into a new humanity, a true humanity, a humanity that partakes of the divine nature, that is adopted into sonship, a humanity that is not subject to creation not controlled by the elements or circumstances, not insecure or out of control, not fearful of tomorrow, not fearful of death. Any situation, inner turmoil perhaps or situations outside in this world, nothing sets itself up against the Son of God. a humanity that is subject only to God, that loves without restraint, with no consideration for itself. And so I guess we could say that Paul is living in some sort of alternate reality. But but this reality is not a parallel universe. It is the only true reality. Everything else, anything apart from this is built on a lie, has a lie as its foundation, is is really an illusion. The true reality is governed by God through his son. And so every day, every action of Paul's is governed, is subordinated, every thought of his is subordinated to Jesus by the power of the Spirit. Just as every day Jesus put to death the false definition of humanity and perfected a new humanity, Paul is serving his Lord, entering into what has been won for him, being led by the Spirit to do the very same that Jesus did. The false reality of this world always will stand in opposition to God. Will seek for a false reality to be brought to our, to our attention, to, um, to, to bring a worry, to bring an anxiety, to bring a, a reality that, that disregards who God is, disregard, disregards the love of God, disregards what His purposes are for His children. A false nature has been defined in humanity by a lie from the very beginning. The prince of the lie is Satan and he's enslaved humanity in its fear of death. This false nature is what Jesus does away with as he draws out a new humanity in himself. A new humanity that is not subject to the law of sin and death. A new humanity that, is, that, that, that overcomes the old, that, that swallows up the old. The fate of the old humanity, the old nature governed by the flesh is sealed on the cross with all its imperfections, with its desires of this world. And a new nature is unveiled in the resurrection. People of the old sort, people that are ruled by their fleshly desires, come against Jesus Christ to put to death the new human that stands in opposition to them. That has come to displace what is wrong in them. They crucify the author of life. But in seeking to crucify the new man, all they serve to do is drive the final nail in the coffin of the old man. Jesus, in his moment of suffering, in his moment of death, with a heart overflowing with love and forgiveness, with a heart seeking reconciliation in the face of hatred and humiliation, in the face of pain and death, conforms. Every last bit of the flesh that he took on, he conforms it into the image of a son of God. All of what it means to be human is appropriated by him, is summed up, is expended, is drawn into divinity, into the will of God, into sonship. This is the very victory that Jesus has won for all of humanity. An invitation to enter into the same death to the flesh that he died in the power of his spirit. This is the Jesus. Paul knows and what he wants for Timothy is that that this Jesus, rekindled in his heart through Jesus he knows that God is in control of every circumstance, every trial, every test and so everything that happens every circumstance, any internal struggle is to be taken as an ongoing gracious invitation into sonship to call on a loving heavenly father, to die to the old humanity and to live to the new in Jesus. Paul knows that that in every moment over a lifetime, it is possible to be conformed to the image of Christ. It is possible to live according to Christ because God Has revealed he is definitively in control. He has given us his spirit for this very purpose. And he will guard us from being tested beyond what we can bear. He will always provide a way out so we can endure. Paul knows this as a lived reality, even as his final death draws near. Paul knows that there are two different types of sons. On the one hand, sons of this world, sons of Adam, of Satan, children of Satan, as Jesus put it, that conform themselves to to the many and varying patterns in this world, even some patterns that have an outward appearance of godliness on the other hand paul knows of the sons of god that conform to christ the former the sons of this world are perishable they are passing away but the sons of god those who do the will of god in the power of the spirit of christ live forever And so Paul sees this as the utmost importance, setting Christ in his sights, nothing else matters. In 1 Corinthians 9, 27, he says, I strictly discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others of this good news, I myself will not be disqualified. In Romans 6, 5, he says, if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Paul knows what Jesus has done. He's opened up a way for all to be children of God. And so Paul is imitating Christ. Paul is going to Christ conform. That is his desire with everything he has, knowing that God has made every provision for him to do so. He's previously said it, we read it, not by works. He knows that he can give himself completely to this very reality and that it is possible because Christ, God in Christ has made every provision for him to do so. He knows that Jesus is the only way to being a child of God and his life reflects that reality. It looks like Jesus. That's what we see here. His suffering, his humiliation as a criminal, the the internal struggles that he faces, the chains that he wears, his readiness to be executed, being deserted by people who are ashamed of him, though all he has in his heart is love for them. And yet in the midst of all of this, he knows the truth of his situation. Even in what is his darkest hour, he says this to Timothy 4.18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and save me for his heavenly kingdom. The very reason Jesus came into the world was to adopt us as children of God if we will receive him, give him our whole lives as a living sacrifice is Paul's language. And Paul here in this moment of his life is confident that the one who began the good work in him is bringing it to completion. This is the confidence that he longs for Timothy to have. It's the confidence that he longs for us to have, that Christ longs for us to have. And so he says to Timothy 2, 10 to 13, therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect so that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This saying is Sure. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. Paul has died with Jesus and he knows that he will live with him. He has fought the good fight. He has endured. He has kept the faith. And his heart here is that all may come to know this same reality. To live this reality. To die with Christ in order to live with him as a child of God. To reckon themselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And here Paul is urging Timothy to follow his example. We're here 2,000 years later. And the heart of Christ, which speaks through this very letter, is that we too would rekindle that reality, this reality, in our lives today to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings becoming like him in his death Paul says so that somehow we may attain to the resurrection of the dead do not hold this good news lightly is what he says. Calculate yourself to be dead with Christ. Put away everything for Christ, for His perfection. Settle for nothing less. As Paul puts it, examine yourself to see whether you are living in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realise that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail to meet the test. If you think you are standing, he says elsewhere, watch out that you do not fall. Peter says something similar. Be all the more eager to confirm your call and election, for if you do this, you will never stumble. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ will be richly provided for you. It's coming to know, it's coming to enter in as you set your, your mind on Christ, on, the, on His perfection, as you move towards Him, as you have faith in Him that He has made every provision. What Peter says here, that, that everything will be richly provided for you to enter into the reality of Christ. John says, this is how we can be sure we are in Christ. Whoever says I abide in him ought to walk just as he walked. Paul did this. He urged Timothy to do the same and it's this urging that God's Word in Jesus is coming to us tonight. There's a lot of things happening in our world at the moment. There's a lot of turmoil. There's a lot of things that are grabbing our attention. There's a lot of perhaps internal struggles that we're facing, things that are coming to challenge the reality of of who God is in Jesus for us, not just abstractly, not just out there, for us, who He is for us but there's only one thing that is true and necessary, and that is that we fix our eyes on Christ, that we rekindle this good news that Paul knows, Jesus Christ, Son of God, Son of Man, for us. What we're going to do tonight, actually, as a response, is, is share in communion. In fact, this is Jesus' very own words uh, as he was, as he walked this earth, people, many people, following him, he said, "Unless you partake in my flesh, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me." It's a, it's a radical image of, of, of identifying with him to the utmost degree. And His call for us to remember Him in communion is a call to this, to recommit constantly, to set our eyes on Him, to, to enter into His mercy, to, to recheck that our faith in, is in His abundant provision to richly provide for us, to enter into all that He has for us, to be a child of God. Let me pray and then we will respond by fixing our eyes on Him, on who He is at His core, on what He has won for us. Let's pray together. Father, You have loved us. We are here because You loved us. There is no existence, there is no being outside of You and we are here and it must be because You love us. And if we were in any doubt, you definitively revealed that in your Son by sending Him in the likeness of human flesh as we are. You married yourself to us, so to speak. That is your proclamation that you have not abandoned us to the realm of the dead. Father, You did not let Your anointed one see decay and that is Your desire for each one of us that we would be counted children, that we too would be anointed with Your Holy Spirit, that we would not see decay. You do not long, do not desire for anyone to perish. You love us. you will see us perfected. You will see us in the image of your son. You will count us as children. And so we come to you. We fix our eyes on you. You are our saviour. You are our Lord Jesus. There is no no name, no other name, no other person in heaven or earth or under the earth by which we can be saved. And so we come to you the only way, the only truth, the only life. Have your way with us. We commit to you. We recommit to you. We identify even now as we come to remember your sacrifice, as we come to remember your uh, death on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. We now identify with your death. We seek to partake in your suffering. We have died with you and we will be raised with you. Do your good work in us, in Jesus' name. And so this is the tradition that has been passed down, the tradition that Paul himself knew very well and passed down himself, that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was with his disciples, he, he, he took bread and giving thanks, he broke it saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's do that together. Let's take of his body, hold off on, on the cup for now. In the same way, Jesus took the cup and said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink and remember our Saviour. Let's set our eyes on Him. Let's do that. Lord Jesus, sacrifices and offerings you do not desire, but you desire all of who we are a, a, a contrite heart, a heart that submits to you, a heart that follows you in all things. And so we don't multiply words tonight, actually. We, we just want to be before You. This is not an intellectual thing. This is not, this is not something that we're, we're trying to grasp at intellectually and appropriate for ourselves. And, and so, so ease that. If, if there's been any sense of that tonight, Father, I, I ask that by Your Spirit You ease that, but that You make clear that you have set yourself before us and are calling us to follow you into freedom. And so we do that. We worship you, not just with our words, with our whole being. Take us, perfect us, conform us to the image of Christ. We eagerly await our adoption to sonship, to be children. Do your good work, the good work that you have started and you will bring to completion. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Let's stand together and let's worship. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, set your eyes on Him, make Him Lord. Recommit, rekindle. May that be what marks us as a community. Let's do that together.
1: night to from heaven you came running there was mercy in your eyes to fulfill the law and prophets to a virgin came the
2: and honour You. You're a great and mighty King and what a privilege and honour to, to to lay down our lives for You. The least we can do. You're a God that saves and uh, the least we can do is give our lives back to You, great God. And that's uh, how we want to live. Just laying it down for Your Kingdom purposes, to be led and guided by You, Holy Spirit, to be obedient to You and to allow You Uh, to work in and through our lives, to see fruit flowing through our lives, great God, is our cry of our heart. And so we thank You, Lord, that we can worship You by the way in which we live. We wanna follow You and we thank You for what You wanna do in and through us, great God, we pray. So Lord, uh, yeah, we just thank You so much. Use us this week, whatever we're doing, uh, we pray that You'd use us. And we pray these things in Jesus' mighty and precious Name. Amen. Great to have you here tonight. Uh, if you want prayer at all, it'd be great to uh, pray for you. Feel free to come down afterwards or uh, catch up with us at the Connections Lounge. But God bless you. Have an awesome week and uh, we'll see you soon. Thanks Hes